Welcome back, everybody. I'd like to introduce you to my new studio. Uh, it's really state-of-the-art. It's environmentally friendly. Uh, well, wait, it is the environment. I'm in my backyard. You'll hear birds. I'm looking at two osprey right now, incredible, flying over the house. It's really something to see. And you'll hear lawnmowers. You'll hear our neighbors who are competitive to a uh, almost to a fault they're part of the competitive lawn legion and it's led by the uh, by the i guess bouquet parade because they have new flowers every week and uh, we're following suit i leave the grocery store Publix, and there they are 4.99 we can get another perennial uh they're little but it's north carolina you can throw uh a Coke can on the grass, and next thing you know, you have a tree. But uh, here, here in my studio, uh, in this era of quarantine and we social distance—I uh, can't stand that term. Why don't we just say we stay away from each other? We don't get in people's space. Finally, uh, the world says it's okay that we don't get in your space, and we all accept it. So I'm following directions. I'm going the right way on the uh, grocery aisles, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Do I wear a mask? No, I'm not that good. Um, yeah, maybe I do as much as I can, and especially around patients, those that are infirmed or those that have problems. Yeah, I'm still seeing patients. You ask, why in the world is a pain doctor and an addiction doctor seeing patients and you go to painreliefcenters.com i've talked about this you can see us doing vip uh, visits and that's a visit in the parking lot credit carolyn davis uh, i do these visits in the parking lot because we, we have to see patients and pain doctors are unique and pain providers are unique because we have three crises we're dealing with and each one cannot be ignored. Yeah, we've got a pain crisis, and a pain crisis uh, slash epidemic throughout the world. Well, yeah, we also have an opioid crisis slash epidemic throughout the world. And now we have coronavirus, and it's a pandemic. What's the difference? Pandemic, epi epidemic. Well, an epidemic is kind of like pockets of problems, uh, pandemic is it's becoming global it's just kind of everywhere it's ubiquitous and that's what we've got we've got three crises so what comes cruising into my office three crises um oh there goes the pterodactyl again we we have these three problems walk in every day and we have to take care of them that's unique there goes the pterodactyl it is huge two of them two of them they have a nest uh, bias, so they torment our dogs. We look at the opioid crisis slash epidemic in many ways. We look at it, as I've spoken many times, as pain, addiction, and depression. We don't separate those. In these unique times with COVID, we are looking at problems that we have rarely seen before or have very little understanding of its evolution that being the fact that yeah the providers are getting burned out 
And those that are on the front line especially, hats off. Uh, these folks are taking chances, and they are t- taking risks, bringing stuff home to the family, uh, their loved ones. They're just really doing remarkable things. You've seen it on the news, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. Stop for a minute and be at a distance. I'm not going to call it social distancing, but just say thanks. That recently happened to me, and I, I didn't even think about it. I was in my scrubs, and I was walking in where? Publix. And somebody thanked me, and I thought, for what? And uh, then I realized, and I mean, it was cool. It's never really happened to me before in my career. So, you know, I, I started thinking a lot about what about some of these folks that are on the front line, the nurses, uh, the healthcare workers, um, that really put themselves at risk for those that have problems and healthcare problems on that end of the spectrum where respiratory, cardiovascular, coagulopathy, blood clotting problems, all those things uh, being new and understood to COVID are right there just as important as pain, addiction, and depression. Recently, tragically, we had a physician commit suicide. She appeared to be an elegant woman and a, a fantastic practitioner who did not give any warning signs. And she was on the front line. She got COVID. Does that mean COVID causes central nervous system changes that are very subtle that just might tip somebody over? I don't know. I'm going to try to get uh, Pam Weeble, uh, MD, on the show. Is very big on this very topic, particularly with physicians. She has a lot of insight. I've met her. She's a remarkable woman. David Hanscom, I'm going to get him in as well. I'm happy to have had Kevin MD, Kevin Poe, put his podcast up. We did a few weeks ago. Harold Cordner and Amal Sawan, who's a remarkable physician himself and a great entrepreneur. I'm going to put their podcasts up. I think you'll get a perspective of how quickly things are changing. We've had... COVID evolved so fast, we are uh, moving at the speed of light. Now we're trying to get back into our offices. Let's face it, if I was to see patients in my office instead of doing visits in the parking lot, we could see maybe three to five in an hour, slowly bringing them in, practicing aseptic technique to the best of our ability, uh, knowing it has limitations. And you get the picture. Now, if we're in the parking lot and they're in their car and they feel much more comfortable coming to see us and not holding back, we can do what we need to do. And this is temporary. We can do uh, these uh, televisits, which I'm not impressed with, but hopefully the technology will get better. And we can do other things as well. Maybe that smartphone will become useful someday. Right now, it's not that useful. There's always the question of who needs to be seen for what reason. And If this podcast has taught anybody anything, we try to do the right thing for the right reasons. So, okay, let's go back and just kind of review pain, addiction, and depression. All right, just send them to pain management. And a lot of primary care saying, well, listen, I can't be writing opioids. I don't want to write opioids. I have to slow my office down. I just can't plug it up with chronic opioid problems and we know there are problems, and adherence monitoring, how to how to test 
appropriate responsible actions by the practice, uh, that being pill counts and drug screens and that sort of thing. That's what we do. So they send them to us because in and a great majority of patients that are on opioids and those being treated for pain are legitimate. Uh, drug seekers are clever, manipulative, and awful, very oftentimes very successful time robbers. And so it takes training, it takes monitoring, and identifying and responding to the right uh, person. Oh, well, you can kind of figure these people out when they walk in your office. No, you can't because I'm going to tell you, or ethnic groups um, – there's really – there's not a lot of difference except Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders have a higher incident. I don't get that. Native American Indians, Alaskan Natives, that sort of thing. They have a higher incident. Asians are way low. Hispanics, pretty low. Whites and blacks about the same. And this is SAMHSA data. Educational level, four years of college – they are more likely to experience an illicit drug than those that didn't complete high school. Who would have thought of that? Most are employed part-time, about 75%. And we are making a, a, a agent shift, an entire agent shift, away from some drugs that we normally thought were just great 15, 20 years ago, the uh, extended release drugs, the pharmacokinetically long-acting drugs, vis-a-vis -vis OxyContin, uh, which is now demonized. So we're also staring down the barrel of uh, POT, uh, marijuana. Some states it's legal, others it's not. We have to deal with that and have policies with that, but federally it's illegal. So pain-trained uh, individual knows how to put this melting pot together and make a lot of sense out of it because pain is not an opioid deficiency. Now, pain and opioids, that's one problem, but you can't give a pill and expect pain to go away because virtually every painful entity, especially chronic painful entities, including cancer pain, chronic headaches, failed back surgery syndrome, I think you know them, they have situational depression and anxiety hand in hand with them that's just part of the problem we got to deal with so yeah it, it there's multiple multiple comorbidities that's what we call it comorbidities can go along with chronic pain and we we have to be able to respond to that 40 percent of affective disorders uh, these kind of mixed affective disorders just don't respond to antidepressants so we have to do something uh, here and we have to sometimes make a leap. Okay, all right. Opioids are a useful tool, and we have a pain crisis and an opioid crisis, and we've also got a COVID crisis. So we've got three going on at once. Most of the problems with opioids are preventable. All right, eleven million people misused opioids in 2016. Hundred and fifteen, roughly. This changes all the time deaths a day and 42,000 deaths in 2016. That's old data, right? It's probably gone up from then. But I would say during this COVID crisis, we have to be very responsive and have a high level of accountability because we, we just don't know. Like I just mentioned, does it change uh, in a very subtle way, people's risk factors for situation depression, anxiety, leading to morbidity 
that could be as serious as suicide. All right? So pain is expensive. Probably they, – they say it's 600 billion dollars a year is probably closer to a hundred billion and the global opioid consumption of morphine equivalents that's where whatever drug it is is compared to morphine so like oxycodone close to one to one hydrocodone less uh, coding much less Heroin depends on the potency. Fentanyl, way up there. You have to kind of look at it like overdose deaths. What's what's going on? Well, commonly prescribed opioids, you know, the oxycodones and hydrocodones, they're kind of leveling off and dropping off. In other words, we've made some educational changes in the uh, prescribing community, and we're uh, starting to realize that pain does not necessarily require an opioid we can treat it multimodality and we're starting to realize the involvement of benzodiazepines because benzodiazepine deaths from an overdose are kind of flat and they have been for many years you combine it with the uh, opioid which many people think they like it enhances the feeling of both the benzo and the opioid the deaths start going up, and you can just see that curve up, up, up. The real problem is fentanyl and heroin. It's just the problem that uh, we're going to have to face, and with the availability of heroin, particularly now with people sequestering and uh, people just hanging out and getting a little bored, I think we're going to start seeing it uh, spike. So it's biopsychosocial, sometimes religious. We have to be very mindful that uh, folks do have a, a tipping point, and the opioid crisis will probably be enhanced by COVID, and COVID may play into morbidity as well. Okay, so let's go back and uh, start thinking about what is it we're going to do, and is there a potential pathway we can take that will lead us to the best outcome we can have, that being minimizing risk, improving function and quality of life. You can't go anywhere. You can't go to the gym. You can't go to restaurants. You, you, know, you can't do the things we're normally doing. We're humans. We're social beasts. And right now, we're, we're stuck. Well, that doesn't mean you can't get outside, and absolutely you can't get outside. You can walk around in the neighborhood, and you can develop some habitry uh, about regular activity. When you increase your activity, you decrease the myofascial condition, the fibromyalgia gets better, uh, your brain-derived neurotrophic factor rises, you feel better, you have a better sense of being, and you probably can take that proactive role uh, that is in your own backyard and you can improve some of the sadness. And seasonal affective disorder is now, thankfully, helped by spring. Now, Spring and in especially I'm in the South and it's a real interesting time of the year. People get out and of course there's the Easter parades and there's the Kentucky Derby and there's these all these traditional things that we can't have now. We can't do a lot of the socialization that we used to do. So you start thinking of what you can do at home. Well, of course there's gardening. And you know, you can expect the Lowe's and the Home Depots to be the new shopping malls, and you're going to go there at your own risk. I seem to do that a lot. And you can just see those parking lots packed. I don't get it, but I'm one of the complicits. 
The other thing is you find yourself looking back to the things that you enjoyed last summer. In the South, there's an acquired taste for sweet tea. When I was, I grew up in Colorado, and I was in Colorado, first of all, we didn't drink much tea. We drank some hot tea. But this thing called sweet tea, I never even knew what it was until I moved to the South. What is sweet tea? Well, it's a sugar bomb. And it's something that's either done right or it isn't. I would say this, and um, I'm not going to name any institutions. I'm just going to say, well, okay, if you go to McDonald's, um, you're going to be put in a sugar coma if you ask for uh, sweet tea. It's it's a taste, but you can uh, temper that with good sweet tea, and it's a, it's an acquired taste. I'm still acquiring it. And you can look to other things that you enjoy. You don't have to always be entertained like you were six months, 12, 12 months uh like you were in the past you can you can try new things be be that person be that person that is working on your situational depression if you have it your anxiety by increasing your activity and staying away from drugs and excessive alcohol and yes alcohol is spiked because we're sequestered and i think a lot of people are making a lot of money on delivery services those delivery services don't just deliver food so I'm just saying. Okay. So, all right. Let me go through some definitions because people screw these up. And it's not a militant statement for me. It's something that I want people to understand so they don't have guilt. Uh, try to lose the guilt, especially in in this era we're in right now. Okay. Opioids and drug speaking. Definition. Opioid abuse, addiction, and tolerance are three different things. So is physical dependence. Physical dependence is not addiction. So when you think of, you know, I'm missing my Starbucks or I'm missing my my thing, whatever it might be, your sugar rush or whatever it is, your steakhouse, uh, that's not an addiction. Physical dependence is not an addiction just like tolerance is not addiction. Tolerance is that thing you need to take more to get the same effect. All right? That's really important because physical dependence and tolerance are are often screwed up with addiction. They are not the same thing. Addiction is impaired control over whatever your thing is. Compulsive drug use or eat too many steaks or sugar or whatever, caffeine, and it's used despite harm and you have cravings for it. Yeah, um, a good blintz. Yeah, that might be that might be your thing, but it is not physical dependence, but tolerance. All right, this is a concept. There's something called pharmacokinetics. That's what we as humans do to the drug all right what the drug does to us in pharmacodynamics is different than pharmacokinetics pharmacokinetics is part of drugs moving in blood tissue fluids and pharmacodynamics is really what the drug does to us either biochemically or physiologically and it has a lot to do with metabolism. So when you introduce that concept of tolerance, I was talking about taking more 
to get the same result, you push yourself into dependency where if you don't get whatever you need, you can go through withdrawal. And that's what happens. If you talk to most people that have an opioid dependency, they'll tell you they don't after a while, they don't take it to get high. They take it to quit feeling crappy. And that's uh, what the concept of tolerance is all about. It shifts this curve, this hedonic curve, this, you know, I'm going to feel crappy if I don't take something. And, you're, you know, you start getting an increased heart rate. Everything leaks. You get watery eyes, runny nose, um, you get diarrhea, that sort of thing. It, what happens is... You you just don't want to feel that way. And so concept of tolerance is you have to take more and more to not feel that way. Uh, there's also the problem with tolerance is that some people – it has to do with dopamine receptors, no doubt. Uh, they just don't feel right unless they've taken something to boost that dopamine. Um, and a favorite addictionologist uh, has – Dr. Block has told me – the, the great term pick your pick your dopamine addiction you know she she's right and you know if you talk to some of these addicts they they'll tell you you know i just didn't feel right until i had my first percocet or something like this we've talked about this before and so you have to understand when you're walking out in the parking lot what we're dealing with. Is it pain, addiction, or depression? Are there comorbidities that have something to do with it? Are there are there circumstances in your life being cooped up or not being able to see your loved ones or not getting out and doing your socialization that really play into this? Could a positive coronavirus um, diagnosis or testing, particularly in folks that are older that have high stress, like unfortunately, I'm sure that physician did, I'm not going to mention names. She she probably felt helpless and hopeless, and uh, we've talked about this before. You know, physicians don't want to call for help because of a number of reasons, and I want Dr. Weeble to talk about that. So I think she probably uh, fell into the problem where she got into emotion, and she wasn't thinking logically. So... It wasn't a substance problem with her. It was a situational problem. So with the addict that starts working on emotion and not logic, it is a substance problem. And tolerance and dependence, and they, have, they have a lot to do with it. But let's not, let's not forget that um, we're all susceptible to this. Okay. All right, what else do I want to say about this? Well, I'm going to be putting up the podcasts that I did, but you can also get real sporty, and you can go over to the uh, ASIPP.org website, and they're up on there to some degree. I've done some podcasts there, and uh, you will also see our webinars there. It's an incredible informational source, website, and it's open to any folk. Uh, so is Pain Physician Journal. That is a open source journal where you can go and get free, <laughs> free journal articles. And they're some sometimes they're hard to read, but that's not important. What's important is you can do a search there and get credible, peer reviewed stuff. 
And that's what it's all about, is getting the real stuff. We have different types of journal. This is a high-impact journal, probably the highest-impact pain journal in the world, if not amongst all high-impact journals, cardiology journals, neurology journals, etc., where you can go there and get credible information reviewed by uh, world experts. And, you know, do, do some queries there. Don't, don't get your stuff on Google. You're going to get messed up on Google. You know, trust but verify, but the sources you need and the processes you need to feel good about what you're reading can be found, ASIPP.org. Check out the webinars, too. I will go ahead and check out here. I think this is probably a good stopping point. Once again, if you would uh, be kind enough to, while you have a little downtime, go to iTunes, give me a rating, uh, star rating. It really helps boost the show. And even <laughs> even a few people to do, you'd be surprised how much you jump. And that means that I'm more accessible to other people. And if you have any questions, go to uh, paininformation.com and leave me a note. I read every one of them. I'll try to get some more guests on here for you. The best thing you can do uh, as an individual right now is uh, understand this too shall pass. And it's not going to be like uh, we all think it's going to be. It's probably going to be a little slower than we want it to be, isn't everything? But it's going to happen. And this will be a blip, hopefully, in our otherwise happy life down the road. Stay safe. Uh, Look out for others. Look out for yourself. Bye.